Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Uh, Continuing in the series, Behold Him, and today we're talking about the majesty of Jesus, and probably uh, not, uh, not, not a word maybe we think about a lot, because I haven't really, I don't really remember a lot of songs these days mentioning the majesty of God, but it is one of the virtues, one of the attributes, even uh, one of his names in Scripture. And it's one thing to learn to stop and behold something, as we talked about last week. To behold something is, is if you want to go with the antonym, is simply not to miss that thing which you should be noticing. Um, but, and it's one thing to learn how and discipline our lives to learn how to stop and behold something to take the time, to make the moment, to realize uh, the goodness of what might be around you. Uh, Because it could grab you, it could change you, it could give you an opportunity for a new perspective on something. But it's another thing to stop uh, purely because of your intention. And when we stop to behold because of intention, I think we will always encounter something that actually changes some part of our life. Now, this is, this is the reality that we see in worship. It's the reality that we see if we stop to appreciate nature, of course, or a person. Um, when we're intentional about it, it does impact our life in a changing way. And majesty, recognizing majesty does that. It changes lives. So when we see something that captures our, intention, our, our attention, what actually is happening in our brain, if it's, if it's magnificent, if it is meaningful to us, if we have been intentional about making time for it, this is, this is amazing. It actually imprints in our memory, and it imprints in our brain. In fact, uh, there are many, many moments I can recall in my life that are welded into my mind um, because of the, the moment to behold something. And specifically, those things which were majestic in my encounters will never forget. You can probably relate to that. Uh, the meaning of majesty, um, in, in the most common way that we use it, is sovereign power, authority, or dignity. Now, of course, when we add a biblical meaning to that, it, it just becomes a little more uh, God-centered in its nature. But majesty is often a reference or a title that we give to all kinds of people in authority. In Canadian culture specifically, uh, it would be used to someone in royalty. Uh, So we would still say today in certain levels of court in Canada, Her Majesty the Queen. Um, And and that's that's kind of where it stops right now. Um, But in nature, it seems like we describe majesty in Canada all the time because Canada is known for its majestic nature, its majestic scenery, the overpowering um, emptiness of some of our spaces, which is so beautiful and amazing. Uh, You know, most of the world lives in a place where they can't look in any direction and not see people. I don't know if you're aware of that, but, you know, in most places in the world, 90% of the world's population lives very near the Earth's equator, and those places are so dense, if you go outside and you look, or even if you go into a building or a place and look, you will encounter another human being. We, in Canada, are blessed with the ability to look in almost any direction at almost any given time and not see another living soul. And for me, as an outgoing recluse, I know that's a contradiction of terms, but it it really is who I am. That's actually a very comforting and wonderful thing. And so we get to behold majesty in this part of the world that I don't think many people get to. And I hope that's not lost on you. Um, 
In a world that tries to capture the impact of what we see and feel in our souls when we stop to look at the ocean, that, that word majesty is what begins to come to mind. And I don't know if you've ever stood on the shore of an ocean and considered the overwhelming power of the tide. Those waves that roll in endlessly, day after day and night after night, for as long as the ocean has been and for as long as the ocean will be, those tides and the wind and the movement and the power of the sea is an overwhelming, fearsome thing to behold. Um, You might uh, use majestic or the word majesty when you're standing at the base considering the overwhelming size and mass of a mountain. And you look to the snow-covered peaks and you consider how high that is and, and, and you can't help but be swept up in the majesty of that moment. Or maybe, uh, you know, nature lovers, maybe the majesty of an elk bugling, a bear catching salmon, a moose doing what moose do, maybe a lion or a whale even, I suppose, is majestic. Or for those very few of you who recognize the mightiness of the manatee. I'm just kidding. Nobody, nobody really th- seems to think that the manatee is majestic. Because as far as I know, the only thing that the manatee is revered for is its ability to wreck boat propellers. I know, that's pretty depressing, isn't it? I'm sorry if you're a manatee lover because that was probably highly offensive to you and now you're triggered. I'm sorry. Not, not sorry. But if you consider the majesty of Christ and what he's done in your life, onto an entirely different level of conversation. How he came, who he proved to be by the reality of his presence, and who he is yesterday, today, and forever. We arrive at a different kind of majesty. And this morning, I want to bring this to your attention because I, I think it's something that we often don't spend time considering. It comes and goes through the generations, like I said, in worship songs, in focuses, in books where we consider it. But in this series, and especially this morning, in this Christmas season, I invite you to behold the majesty of Jesus Christ. Micah 5, chapter chapter 5, verses 2 to 4 says, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrata, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from days of eternity. Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise a shepherd, arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This is a prophetic word, a prophetic writing, a prophetic scripture about Jesus, the birth, specifically the birth of Jesus. And if you would like to, to reference that, cross-reference that, go to Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. Because even Herod and the chief priests and the elders, the, the teachers of the law, they knew this passage was pertaining to the Messiah, and they were all those years later still expectant that he would come, that he would be born of the virgin. All of those things they knew would be fulfilled one day by prophecy of the Old Testament. And uh, 
It's amazing because in the midst of that, Luke chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, um, the story of Jesus' birth puts on the full display of the reality of his majesty. I'd like to draw your attention to something that I've always found uh, wonderful about Micah chapter 5 verse 2, and it says, whose going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Now just so you know, this is, this is a verse that actually deifies Jesus Christ, Okay? When you understand that this verse is talking about the coming of the Messiah, Jesus born of a virgin, the unfolding of God's plan, when the Bible says that his goings forth are from long ago, you notice how it doesn't say his beginning was long ago? Because, I, because Jesus is the only begotten of the Father, which not, does not mean born of the Father. It means that he has come out from the Father. It's like God took a part of himself that was always there and then put it into human flesh. And that's why Emmanuel means God with us. And I love this verse because there are many religions that have tried to teach over the years that Jesus was actually just a really good human being. But Jesus was not a human being. Jesus was from and is the eternal God. He is the fleshly expression of the eternal one. And that's why when we read in Micah, why this is actually such an important little doctrinal point to make mention of. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. When did eternity begin? Well, by its nature, eternity has no beginning, right? And I mean, we have a hard time understanding that, I realize as humans, uh, but we actually can't argue our way out of that either. Uh, no matter what uh, philosophy of mind you try to come at this from, we cannot put a timestamp on the beginning of anything because as far as we can tell, most things have always been the way they are, right? I mean, we're, 80, we're 85, 90 years at this point um, in the expanse of eternity. Just get your head around that and imagine the God who is and was and always will be. That's why the word majesty applies to who he is. That's why the word majesty applies. And so I, I love that prophetic story. And then the story of Jesus' birth puts that on display, the full display of his majesty. Now, if you think that majesty is only about gold and jewels and the presentation of, of, of God in a way that allows people to accept them on their accept him on their own terms, then you actually are missing the point of what majesty is. Um, that is to say, if you take someone, for instance, in that has a, a, a real amount of authority, I mean, we, we might even say a God-given authority, an authority that is established by God, not necessarily someone who's abusing authority or anything like that, just a real authentic authority, and. You know what's interesting? Because that individual is an authority, how or what you perceive or receive them to be actually has no bearing on who they are. Like a police officer, he pulls you over for speeding. You can argue and you can say all the things you want, but the reality, because of the authority he bears and who he is, he can write you a ticket. And that, and that is what it is. And, and we have a hard time, I think, sometimes quantifying our relationship with God and how he came and how we are and how we eventually receive him because we get caught up in these, in these limitations of earthly authorities. But again, the majesty of God is revealed not in earthly authority, but heavenly authority. Now, the amazing thing is that when God took the image of who he eternally is and wrapped it in human flesh... 
He chose to do so in the form of an infant. And while you and I and probably most other human beings in this world would really, if we had our way, have chosen Jesus to come on the clouds riding a horse made of lightning, uh, swinging a sword made of machine guns, or whatever else you can imagine dynamic power to be, that's how we would have chosen it. But in the majesty of who God is, he chose to present himself in a way that was so purely majestic, yet so purely inoffensive, so humble, even though he was still so mighty. And I I love to, um, those of you who have watched Talladega Nights, which of course I never have, my grandpa said, you're never lying if you tell your story in a way that people know you're not telling the truth, okay? (laughs) I just don't want to admit to it, you know. But I, I actually do kind of smirk and actually enjoy when they're trying to make fun of Jesus and they offer the prayer at the meal that's sponsored by Mountain Dew, you know. And he prays to dear baby Jesus, or dear infant baby Jesus, whatever it was, still a child, but omniscient. And he goes on and he even assigns a weight and, and all that. And, and, you know, I actually love it because even though they're making fun of it, they're actually hitting the nail on the head. Now, I know that's really tricky, that J.B. Jesus, who couldn't even talk, how can he be omniscient? Don't, don't worry about the things God can do that you can't understand, first of all. God limits himself all the time, and we should be thankful that he does. And this is simply a case of God limiting himself in his power. You might also call this God showing restraint. Um, God is the best being we will ever encounter for his ability to show restraint, just so you know. And for that, I would ascribe majesty to him as well. But I got to love the story, and you love the story, and this will be the first time of many this passage is read in this season. But Luke chapter 2, verses 9 through 14, And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, someone say behold, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, now let's just hit pause. Other than the angels showing up, there is not a whole lot of majesty here, is there? I mean, I'm sure for the shepherds there was because an angel showed up. And that would be, I think, an overwhelming experience for most of us. But he makes his announcement, Gabriel does, makes his announcement about the birth of Jesus. And then he says, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And then here's where it starts to become something more. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Um, I actually think it's possible. I actually believe it's happened where I and probably you have encountered an angel, whether we knew it or not, and we have been directed or set a new course or or many, who knows, I mean, 
the, the Bible says when we do acts of kindness, we should do it considering that we might be entertaining angels without knowing it. Um, so I think that the encounter of a man or a woman or a people and an angel happens all the time. But here's what doesn't happen all the time. The hosts of heaven do not appear and begin singing for just anyone. The hosts of heaven. Now, I find it interesting that the Bible doesn't try to put a number on this. You see, when Jesus was in the garden and Peter cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest, Jesus numbered the angels that could be sent to his aid, right? And I can't, I can't even remember which, which word it was, but he just made it relative to the time that there would be, he could, he could ask his father to just send a whole lot of angels. But I think it's interesting that the announcement, at the announcement of the birth of Christ, we have an angel who makes this statement. He makes a declaration. He shares this good news. And then suddenly, this will be a sign for you. You will find the babe wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly, the hosts of heaven are revealed, singing glory to God in the highest. I think that in the rush of our season, we forget to sit in those moments and consider, I don't know about you, but here's what happens to me. I start to think about what that might have been like. I start to think about the impact of those words on my life. And then I realize the massive overstatement that God makes in releasing the hosts of heaven to sing about the birth of Jesus. And that causes me to tremble. Because it is the majesty of God revealed. All the splendor, all the magnificence of who he is, packaged in human form and laying in a manger. And you know, we can say that, well, that was a majestic happening, that those things, but we can actually still see the majesty of Jesus today. If you're willing to behold, if you're willing to stop and not miss it, his majesty is actually everywhere. When we gather and experience the unmistakable presence of his reality as we worship together. And it doesn't just happen here. It happens in churches all around the world, in homes all around the world, and in, in arenas and stadiums all around the world. Wherever the followers of Jesus gather to worship him, his presence comes. And every one of us as, as believers can experience that unmistakable presence of his reality as we worship and pray. And, you know, sometimes I'll admit it, it feels like not much at all. Sometimes it feels like a taste. It's, it's refreshing. It's like getting up in the morning before you brush your teeth, and the first thing that changes your horrible morning breath experience is a cup of coffee. That kind of refreshment. Sometimes I feel that's what the presence of God is like. It just feels good. It feels better to brush your teeth. You know what I'm saying? And, and in the same way, if you can stick with me in this silly analogy... Having a cup of coffee is a wonderful taste, but it actually does feel better to brush your teeth after that. I just think that toothpaste wrecks the flavor of coffee, so I prefer to do it the way I do it. 
And if you want to brush your teeth first and have mint coffee, that's your business, and that's fine. I just feel bad for you. Um, But his presence feels like just a taste. But then there are times where the presence of God right here in this gym has been so profoundly overwhelming that it transcends any experience I've ever had in nature, whether it's standing at the foot of a mountain looking up or standing at the top of the mountain looking over the rest of the range. It doesn't seem to matter. Right here on these cheap Costco chairs and a wooden floor that's painted for basketball and volleyball, I experience heaven. Heaven. That is the revealed majesty of the person of Jesus. In the most deafening silences of life, sometimes I can hear his voice thunder. And that causes me to tremble too. When you know, you know, right? When you know, you know. The things that I could try to explain to you, I don't think I could ever get all the way across until you experience Jesus for the reality of who he is in your own life. And it starts with behold. The book of Jude is only one chapter long. But it ends with one of my favorite statements of worship in all of Scripture. And I think one of the most powerful, in fact. Jude, verses 24 and 25 say this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. His majesty has always been his. And it still is. His majesty. And tomorrow, and a thousand years from now, and 10,000 years after that, it will still be His majesty. His sovereign power and dignity and authority are still here. In fact, it gets better because His majesty, as it flows from Him to you and to me, by virtue of his divine nature that he is giving to us, that majesty begins to fill our own lives. And you might think yourself too small among the people of Generations Church, but you are by no means the least. And every time that we celebrate the birth of Jesus, you and I should actually take ourselves and put ourselves in the place of Bethlehem. Because every year as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, there is something that should happen. It doesn't need to happen because of theology. It doesn't have to happen because of a doctrine. I'm just telling you this morning that it should happen in your life over and over again. That you who think you are too insignificant, that are too small, that are too fragile, that are too incapable to be a home and the birthplace of Christ for your life, you're not. You're not too small. You're not too unworthy because he made you worthy. 
One of the Christmas carols we really don't sing anymore has the line in it, Come to my heart, Lord Jesus, there is room in my heart for thee. Year after year, year after year, the proclamation should be for your heart and for mine, God, there is room in your heart for me. For all that you are, for all that you have. Because God does not want to live in temples made of stone, as we've talked about so many times before. But day after day, God is looking to live in a tent made out of people. And his majesty wants to be revealed in a tent that is made out of people. And you need to get this, church. See, you might think you're insignificant. You might think you're incapable. And those things might technically be true from one perspective. But from the perspective of the eternal God, when he looks at you through the lens of his son, he sees worthy. He sees perfected. He sees holy and blameless and righteous. All the things that we need to be, we become in Christ. And that makes him majestic even more. You know, I'll make an admission to you this morning. And some of you might think less of me, and some of you won't care. Some of you will like me a little more. Um, but probably the greatest theological influences in my life, I mean, I'd like to tell you that it's from reading a lot of books and going to college and all those kinds of things, um, but it's not. I'm going to be perfectly transparent. Probably the greatest theological influences in my life are songs. Songs. I'm just built that way, I suppose. I have a memory like a steel trap for lyrics and tunes and those kinds of things. And so every single song I grew up in the church singing has imprinted in my theology. Okay? And, and now, this is how I know that there are a lot of songs in the world over the years that actually have pretty poor theology in them. There are a lot. But there are even more that have amazing theology in them. And the reality of how the majesty of Jesus Christ is intended not just to be held in him, but actually in the indwelling of us to be lived out and seen through us. If the majesty of the Creator is revealed in mountains and oceans and rivers, why should the majesty of the Creator not be evident and revealed in you? Why should not be what flows out of you is the majesty of God? After all, you are royal. You are a king and a priest unto God. And while I've certainly read a lot of Bible around this, I want to share the lyrics of the song I learned this from. It's an old song, an old chorus, because back in the day when we were kids, there was hymns and there was choruses. Only two. It's like the sheep and the goats. Um, and there are people who would actually say that. That's how it was. The choruses were the goats and the hymns were the chosen ones. Okay? Um, but but here's, here's this old song called Majesty. I would sing it for you, but um, I'm just hoping today that I don't have strep throat at this point. Majesty, worship his majesty. 
Unto Jesus be all glory, honor, and praise. Majesty, kingdom authority. See, that's good theology right there. Flows from his throne unto his own, his anthems raise. So exalt, lift up on high the name of Jesus. Magnify, come glorify the king of all kings. Majesty, worship his majesty. Now, it might seem silly to you, but that lyric, that lyric is carrying the message that I need you to hear today. The majesty that is Jesus, the eternal God, that same majesty is intended to flow from his throne into and through your life to this world. And it's not to glorify you, but it is to build you up. And it's not to exalt you. It's actually to exalt him. But nonetheless, it is for everyone who doesn't know him. See, sometimes I think we forget when the Bible says that heaven and the creations declare the glory of God, his handiwork. I think we forget that we are a part of that creation. And what's more, we forget that we are a new creation in Christ, where old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Don't miss it. Stop. Take the time. Consider his majesty. Consider all that he is, his splendor, his goodness, every virtue that you can allow to come through your mind. Consider it. Don't miss it. Because when you understand the majesty of who Jesus Christ is and that he wants that to flow from his throne into your life and into the world around you, it can alter the very course that you're on right now. Your marriage can be made better by his majesty. Your job can be better because of his majesty. It's divine authority. Where he is, things become holy and changed. Where he moves, people begin to tremble. You cannot forget, church, you cannot forget whose blood runs through the veins of your soul. Whose power lives in you. And whose reality you are called to see this life through. It's His majesty. And I hope when you hear that word through the rest of this season especially, especially, that it will bring you to a place by the Spirit of God where you begin to tremble under the amazing and beautiful weight of who he is, all that he's done, and all that he has in store for you and for us. I want to pray for you this morning. Worship team, do you guys want to come? Okay, you guys come. Let's stand together.
we're going to ask the same question we always do, which, which is, in not so many words, God, what do you want to say to me this morning? What are you saying to me through this message? Is there anything, God, that I'm supposed to pay special attention to? That's the question. We're just going to take a few moments, and I invite you to consider that, to ask that question yourself. I really can't ask it for you, so you got to do it. Let's just take a moment, 30 seconds, and ask him, Father, by your Holy Spirit, is there anything you're saying to me this morning? See, I can trust that God is speaking to you. Now you need to trust that God is speaking to you. And that what you heard is what you heard. And I encourage you to do something about what you heard in that moment. You might be here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God or maybe you don't have the relationship you want or think you should have with God. I want you to know that you don't have to leave this place the same way that you came. You can respond today and come forward for prayer. We have people who will meet you here. They love to pray. They love to pray with you. And um, if that's you, I encourage you this morning, don't, don't let it go. Don't let another Sunday pass without coming and receiving everything that God has for you. Whether it be that you need healing, whether you need some, just someone to carry a burden with you, sickness in your body, just come and be changed by the power of his presence and the power of prayer today. So we sing this song. Let's really worship him for who he is. His, his majesty is what brought all that we know to be majestic into being. All of it. It came out of his imagination and his heart. And I suppose that's why it's so majestic to us. Because it declares His glory, His goodness, His nature. So Father, as we begin to close the service today, Lord, I pray that you would speak clearly to each heart. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that needs you, Lord, that they would be strengthened and encouraged and overcome that fear that would try to hold them back from responding to you this morning. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just give them the boldness to come to approach the living God today. Lord, I pray that in this season as we slow things down and we consider the true and amazing virtues of who you are, Holy Spirit, that you would imprint on us once again in a fresh way a realization of how magnificent you are in all that you are, in all that you do. Lord, we're so grateful for who you are. And Lord, I just pray that for our church family, 
here today watching online, wherever we might be, that this would be a season that marks a new beginning for so many of us, where we once again in a new way, in a deeper way, in a more passionate way begin to realize just who you are, how much you love us, and what you have in store for us, God. Amen. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.